Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host of Mission Go. Today our text is taken from the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which say, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteemed others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is sort of a verse that talks about the golden rule, do unto others the way you would like them to do unto you. And the point is, it just makes sense if you want to have friends, if you want to have close relationships, if you want to get along with people, then you need to humble yourselves and, and esteem them and look out for their best interests. And as you do that, you look out for your own and people, uh, people are drawn to you and people are then open for you to be able to share your faith and to see people come to Christ. And so it's just a good way to live life. It's sort of a command of God. After all, the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself. He left the glories of heaven with uh, God the Father, and he came to earth, became a man, lowered himself to become a man, the God-man here on earth, but he went to the cross. He lived a sinless life, went to the cross, he died, and uh, rose again on the third day. He humbled himself, and because of that, we have salvation. Because of that, we have forgiveness of sins. When we receive him into our heart, we have new life. We have eternal life, and uh, we have the great prospect of being with him forever and ever and ever. What a great opportunity that is, but help us to live our lives in a way that brings others to him, and we can do that by humbling ourselves and, esteem, and esteeming others better than ourselves. This is radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio some missionaries from uh, India. Uh, they've been with the, the mission for over 18 years and the Lord has blessed them mightily. Uh, last week we were talking about an orphanage and um, we're gonna continue that uh, discussion today. We have in our broadcast uh, studio, we have Asher and Miriam and Sam. Asher, why don't you continue to tell us about uh, the people that are coming to your orphanage in India? We have the Dalit children 
who are very poor and uh, the parents are more of workaholic and uh, they don't have a seriousness to send their children to the school because they can't afford to pay the fees to send them into a, a good and a quality school. And when they send them into the government school, they will be going to the school for about a few days or few months and they discontinue. When they hanging around with the parents, they simply take them into the work and they become into the child labor. Uh, as we have seen in these villages, poor children not getting their basic education where they can stand on their own in the future. So all the uh, Dalit parents are working as a daily laborers and the younger children also getting into the same situation. We as uh, uh, Great Commission Ministries, uh, as we reach with them with the gospel, but uh, God has given us uh, a willingness to take uh, those children into the orphanage and provide a quality education where they can have a good education. One day they can see and uh, know that they have been created in the image of God as any other human beings. I mean to say any other high-caste people that they live in India. And they, the mindset that they are low-caste untouchables may be wiped out and they may be able to have a good life in the Lord. And um, you not only have children in your orphanage that need to be educated, but you also have a great desire to have other Dalit children who may not be in your orphanage, but yes. also are out in the fields and have no opportunity for education. Mm. And Dalit children uh, who are very poor could also come. Is that not true? Yeah, that is true. And adding to that, the Dalit, Dalit families that uh, who have come to know the Lord, they are losing the, the privileges from the government. And they, they, they just cannot send their children to the uh, school where there is uh, payment and the fees is to be paid. So in this situation, we desperately need of this Christian school where we can give free education and midday meal for them. And maybe the stationery like uh, books and uh, textbooks providing providing to to these children that will help them to carry a quality education in the school that we are desiring to open up with yeah i think uh, i think what you're saying is that because these dalit children become christians the government will give a stipend to help uh, the dalits but when they become christians they're not considered dalits anymore and yeah. so therefore they lose their their uh, government income and they become even poorer than where before. And, and the object of the school is to give the children free education so that they have an opportunity in the future to the living and to, to follow the Lord. Yes. And uh, I think this is a, just a really uh, a very worthy cause and, and something that uh, we could maybe try to help. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you know, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without the support of all those who listen and pray for us. I really appreciate those who pray for us and those who remember us in their will or your trust. These are exciting times as we see Russia, the king of the north, coming down into Syria and having an alliance with Iran. And it looks to me like we may be coming close to the end days when our Lord could return and the tribulation could begin. 
This month, we're offering a booklet by Dr. Fred Hartman by writing Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman. Printed copies are available upon request. Today I'd like to begin a short series on something that the average Christian doesn't know much about. If you plan to buy another vehicle, you always look it over very carefully before making a purchase. If you plan on buying a house, you do the same. And you make certain that it has passed all the inspections, electrical, termites, and others. Now, you might keep your car for several years or your home for 20 or 30 years or even longer. These purchases are carefully inspected before you buy them. Those things are merely temporal possessions. We who have trusted Christ as our personal Savior are assured of a heavenly home one that is eternal. My question to you today is this. How much do you know about your eternal heavenly home? You will probably answer that you've read that the streets are paved with gold. You also know that Christ will also be there. How much more do you know about where you're going to spend eternity? In this brief series of messages, we will seek to examine the scriptures to learn more about where, we'll be, where we will be forever. By the way, eternity lasts a long time, and we need to know more about our future home. If we had all the inspections to purchase an earthly home, shouldn't we check out our eternal home? First of all, we need to take a look, a look at what the unbelieving world thinks about heaven. There are some very strange ideas. Some hold that it does not exist, but it is only an idea in our mind. Some others have a very cynical view that if it does exist, it would be a very boring place to have to live there, even if it does exist. Another classic view is that we will all be sitting on some cloud playing harps. 
Some golfers even have said it's like hitting a hole in one. Another one I've heard so many times is a flippant position. I would rather be in hell with my friends than be in heaven with church people. Finally, others hold that there's no heaven. Death ends it all. There's several conclusions that we can draw from the viewpoint of the unbelieving world. First, there's a lack of regard for the horrors of an eternity in hell. This really reflects, reflects the view of sinful man. They also often think a little sin is far more enjoyable than righteousness. A believer in Christ has a far different view of heaven. We will one day bask in all his glory. The old Westminster Confession of Faith put it this way, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the scripture teaches us that in heaven there will be joy far beyond what we could ever experience in this life. It will not be boring or humdrum, but a perfect existence with unbroken fellowship with the Lord and with the other inhabitants. The beloved Apostle John looks at it from another perspective in Revelation 21, 1-4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Don't you agree with me that this will be a whole lot better than what we have right here on earth? There are a lot of precious promises found just in these few verses alone. For all eternity, there will be unbroken fellowship with Christ and God himself. The Apostle Paul put it another way in Philippians 1.21. He wrote, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is not a morbid wish on the part of Paul to die. He was not fed up with living, desiring to die. He explains his position more clearly in 2 Corinthians 5, 1-8. 
For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Here the apostle is expressing very clearly that death does not end at all. Instead, it immediately ushers the believer in Christ into the presence of God unto a far better life. While the soul of believer who dies goes immediately into the presence of the Lord, the body awaits a future resurrection. There are some who believe in what we call soul sleep. This view was started by some in the early church by taking the word sleep in the New Testament to speak of the soul being asleep. This is clarified by several passages of Scripture. The first one is found in John 11, 11 to 14. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. This same principle is found in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two, where we read, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Finally, we read what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So it is very evident that there is no such thing as soul sleep. The sleep referred to in the New Testament refers to death itself. Another aspect about heaven we must consider at this time has to do with how we get to heaven. Romans 4, 1-6 gives us the answer. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, 
but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. It becomes very clear from the words of Scripture that righteousness in heaven are gained solely by faith alone. Our works have nothing to do with our salvation. When we receive Christ by faith, his righteousness is credited to our account, just as it was to Abraham and David. There are millions of people who claim that salvation is an ongoing progress, depending upon our personal righteousness, which is achieved by our own works. In other words, faith in Christ alone is not enough to save us. We must each get our own merit by observing certain sacraments plus the good works we do. This view holds that our justification is not complete until we become perfect first. Therefore, since no one is perfect, we cannot enter heaven immediately upon death. So they've devised a system where before going to heaven, you must go to an intermediate place where you suffer intense pain for your sins until they're finally purged. This view holds that the imputed righteousness of Christ is not sufficient to save sinners. Therefore, we must pray for the dead and hold special services for them. Supposedly, righteous imputed is imputed through these prayers and sacraments which shorten their stay in this intermediate place. The problem with this view is that it is not found anywhere in the Scripture. Therefore, it must have come from man and not from God. The biblical answer to this is found in Hebrews 10, 9-14. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. On the basis of this passage of Scripture, the penalty paid for sin by the death of Christ on the cross is absolutely sufficient for the believer to enter heaven at the point of death. There are no works he must do or need for others to pray for him after his death. Christ has paid the price for our sins once and for all. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to add to what he has done for us. At this point in our first lesson on heaven, I'd like to prove from Scripture that there's no such thing as soul sleep 
or an intermediate place where a believer goes at death before his soul goes to be with the Lord. A classic case to prove this is found in Luke 23. You can recall that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. The one reviled him, but the other one said in verse 23, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now here was a very evil man. He had committed enough crimes to have his life terminated. Yet when he died, Jesus promised that very day he would be with him. If anyone deserved to go to an intermediate place to work out his salvation, he did. Yet Jesus promised him he would be with him that very day. Another case in point is found in Psalm 23, a very familiar message of Scripture. At the end of Psalm, the Psalm, David said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He was not looking forward to some intermediate, intermediate place, but looking to be with the Lord upon his death. His hope was the same as that of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.8, absent from the body, present with the Lord. In Matthew 17, we have an account about Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain. There he was transfigured before them, which means his appearance was changed to how he will look at his second coming. He shone as the sun, and his clothes were as white as light. While they were there, Moses and Elijah appeared, and they were aware of all that was going on, for they were talking to Jesus. They were intimately familiar with Christ and were partakers of his glory. They were, not from some, they were not from some intermediate place where they had been working out their salvation. Today, we have learned several things. First, we saw very clearly that we can only get to heaven by putting our faith in Christ, who has paid the price for our sins by his death on the cross. We also learned that the soul of the believer immediately goes to be with the Lord at the point when we leave this life. This leads me to the most important thing about you and your life. Where will your soul go when you leave this life? All your good works and anything you can do will not get you there. Others praying for you after you're gone will not get you to heaven. The only way you can be assured of heaven is for you to recognize you are a sinner and that Christ paid the penalty for your sins at Calvary. Right now, there by your radio, you can trust him as your Savior and be guaranteed a home in heaven with the Lord. The Bible says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. The choice is yours. There is no place in between. I trust you will make the right choice. That choice will make the difference of whether you spend eternity 
in heaven or hell. I'm sure this message from God's word was a real blessing to you. Here at Kansas National Bible Hour, we want to share biblical truth so that people can grow in their faith and grow closer to Christ. But we also want to make sure that people that listen to this broadcast have an opportunity to realize that they need a, a savior. All mankind are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And of course, all of us know that we're sinners. We tell lies, we do things that we're ashamed of. The Bible goes on to tell us that the wages of sin is death. In other words, spiritual death, separation from God, eternity in hell. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and he will redeem you by his own precious blood and you'll become a new creature. And you can do that by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your sins and asking him to become part of your life. Remember to order your copy of What Will Life Be Like During the Thousand-Year Reign of Christ by Dr. Fred Hartman. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. We also have podcasts on iTunes. Look for missiongo-radio. And on the web, you can hear our broadcast by visiting www.missiongo.org. We look forward to being with you next week. May the Lord continue to bless you and keep you in a mighty way.